So what kind of pants did Mario wear? I heard this joke. Do you know? Uh, no. Denim, denim, denim. <laughs> that was pretty good. You're listening to Coding Blocks, episode 16. Subscribe to us and leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, and more using your favorite podcast app. And visit us at codingblocks.net where you can find show notes, examples, discussion, and much more. Send your feedback, questions, and rants to comments at codingblocks.net and follow us on Twitter at codingblocks or head to www.codingblocks.net and find our other social links at the top of the page. And with that, welcome to Coding Blocks. I'm Alan Underwood. I'm Joe Zach. And I'm Michael Outlaw. And today we're going to be talking about uh, some more design patterns. So we got a lot of good feedback on the last show, and we're finally coming back to it. And today we're going to be focusing on just a couple of the behavioral patterns because there's like you know what, like teens of them, maybe even twenty. Yeah, there's a lot. So we there's each pick one to talk about, and we're excited about it. Yep. So first, though, let's get started with some podcasting news. What we got over here? I think this is your favorite one, Jay Z. Yeah, I, I I want this one. <laughs> I want to say it. Pumpkin spice latte is back. Where's this? Uh, oh, what? <laughs> it's Starbucks, yo. Like, uh, we've got some international <laughs> listeners, so you know, I you know, I feel for you if this isn't available to you. But for them, it's at Le Starbucks. Yeah, man, it's like five twenty-five for a little drink of heaven. I don't uh, know, though. pumpkin, anything like that doesn't sound good. To it's me. not really pumpkin. This okay. man's addicted to pumpkin. Everything though, he used to have pumpkin creamer. Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah. oh yeah, it's so good. All right. Uh, we also got some feedback um, from Patrick on Independ, and uh, we have a whole list of things here. So it was Patrick Smakia responded to our gripes, which I mean, he actually <laughs> took the gripes. time. He 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 took the time to respond to each one of them. So one of them was like attaching to the solution had benefits. Uh, what was I, I forget exactly how he put that. Yeah, it, well, it let them do um, different things to different projects and different kind of views, it, and you could detach it, too. Well, yeah, okay, so not only did he mention the detaching, which I don't know, in all fairness, if we had mentioned, but like one of the things specifically that he said was a benefit to, to doing it the way he was was that you could specifically say, these are the assemblies that I want independ to, uh, you know, to, to, to track, to monitor. Oh, okay, yeah, right? all right. Oh. So there were a lot of great things that he had in there. Like, oh, my favorite was he uh, he sent us a screen, an early screenshot of the uh, dark theme being honored in Visual Studio. That's that's Ooh. awesome. So yeah. uh, I think know. that was Michael's biggie. Oh my god, I, I'm gonna be so happy to see that one. Yeah, and uh, he actually um, wrote us and sent some screenshots. And was like, is this what you guys are talking about with the column uh, headers that Alan had been talking about? So he really uh, took the advice to, and suggestions to heart, which is really cool. And uh, he just seems like a really nice and, and honest guy. I, I think that was one of the most interesting things about the whole thing was like, you know, the few, like, they weren't even, like, you called them gripes just a moment ago. But, yeah, I mean, they, I mean, they, were, like, they, they were, were nitpicks. Like, they were yeah, nitpicks. They, they weren't horrible things, none of them. But, yeah, like you said, Joe, he actually took the time to respond back to all of them and, and had answers back to all of them. So it was, uh, you know, that, that that was really impressive. Yeah, and, you know, I don't know that I would take even nitpicks so kindly. So, you know, kudos to him. Yeah, I mean, he, he handled it like a champ. And, and I will say, he said that he had no answer for me with the, you need multiple monitors. But I thought about this. There's an answer. The new LG UM uh, <laughs> oh. 
30 no oh, the, the 34 um 95 wides no not the not the 20 not the 20 I said ultra wides yes yes the 34 inch ultra wide oh my god i want that thing we'll leave a link in the show notes it's literally heaven in a monitor what? it sounds like the trailer park version of a monitor that's the ultra wide <laughs> <laughs> that's so wrong you know, um, our, the tornado is gonna hit it <laughs> uh, my buddy john uh, just, he just got a um a macbook air and uh, 11 inch and he's got uh, one of these ultra wide monitors and he took a picture next year I'll, I'll write him and see if i can post this picture because it's ridiculous it makes the the laptop look like a phone man <laughs> uh, i actually want two of them i know that's a little obscene but oh, man fantastic oh my god could you imagine Jeez. Yeah. anyways but talk, i don't know about don't, your first world problems yeah seriously completely uh what else we got so we attended the internet of things signal r meetup that was uh that was interesting i don't know if if you're familiar with Signal Signal R, but it's a an API that allows you to do uh, real time communication back and forth between the client and the server, um, right? And so it uses like WebSockets if that's available. If not, it kind of falls back to the Nextbox thing and and so forth. Yeah, it has huge backwards compatibility support uh, built into it as well across multiple different um, operating systems, and uh, you know it was, it was interesting to see the the presentation and their use for it. Um, where they were using it to talk to multiple devices. Each device was uh, uh, a different type of, you know, like one of them was a Raspberry Pi. One of them was uh, um, the the was it the Galileo board? I think is the name of it. The uh, the Adreno was another one. I can't yep. remember all of them, but and then all the sensor. I mean, yeah, the sensors were a big part of it too. But it's a lot of kind of what we talked about in episode twelve. Um, what do you want to be when you grow up? And you know, that for me is kind of the dream of like getting back to like the real world. Yeah, I mean it was all and it was all doing like real time communication using Signal R in it, and they showed uh, examples of you know the same code being used in um, oh my god what was it there was a there was a Windows phone app there was a Windows uh, store app there was a Xamarin uh, app for Android um, iPhone too uh, yeah there was a web app for it it was fantastic. Yeah, he's using Teller controls too, which I haven't really seen a lot of, but they looked really nice. You know, the interesting thing is when I've heard Signal R before, I always just associate it with real time chat. Mm-hmm. And it was nice because I didn't get to go to the thing with you guys, but it was nice to come back and hear that you were talking about, oh, no, no, they're doing things in like elevators and, and you know, they're, they're monitoring parts and, and what's going on. And so, like, literally, you have this one data hub now that's talking to all these devices and you have dashboards and all that. So that, that was. Really cool. I wish I had gone. Yep. Speaking of really cool, um, last time we went to this event, we mentioned it, the Build Guild Atlanta. Uh, I think most of the time we spent talking about was about the French fries that we had at this uh, oh venue, which I am looking the very French much fries. forward to. So that's coming up on the uh, September 11th if you're in the Atlanta region. Uh, I'm sorry, September 8th. It's awesome. It's this place, Joystick. It's, I mean, it's a bar, an arcade, and people talking about code all night. Uh, count me in. Old school arcade. Yeah, I'm absolutely going to try and make it to that one. <laughs> I may or may not be able to. But um, the next thing that we got are, like, reviews. Reviews. Guys, oh, my God. You guys are awesome. This has been fantastic. Like, we, we actually kind of, I don't want to say flooded, but we got hit with several reviews over the past month. And unfortunately, we hadn't gotten another episode out because we've all been insanely busy. But here we are. We got... Oh, my God. Back to school. And so we're not going to read them all this time because, I mean, people took the time to write some really nice reviews. But, like, some of the headings we got from Hyperspatial, 
who can be found at Twitter at Hyperspatial, uh, S-P-A-C-I-A-L. Awesome podcast for developers. Another one, Icons, awesome podcast. Michael R., mind-blowing. Do you think there's any relation to Signal R? Possibly. Huh. Uh, then we also, uh, we those were reviews on Stitcher, which we really appreciate those. Those don't usually seem to grow as fast. iTunes, we got uh, from CashCHW, Solid Information. Another one, Jason Young from Ytechie, one of a kind. So, guys, we really appreciate it. Please do leave your feedback, any comments or anything that you have. Leave it in iTunes, leave it in Stitcher, wherever you listen to this. Just so that you know, you can help spread the word, and it really does help keep us motivated to keep moving with these things. So, really, really appreciate it. I know it takes time to do these things, and it's you know time that you're usually not, you know, you're not listening to this podcast while you're sitting at your computer most time. So, we really do appreciate you taking the time out of your day to do that. And just know that it's going to a good place too, because not only are you are you helping us feel like this is is worthwhile and and that we're doing something that you enjoy but it's also helping others find us as well which helps to grow the audience too oh, i thought the good place was straight to my head oh <laughs> yeah well you guys can't That's see the cool side too. of joe's head anymore but it's pretty big yeah it, it, it it's vast yeah it's catching up to my belly now <laughs> <laughs> that's one of the things we all struggle at sitting in front of computers all day right uh another piece of news and this kind of hurt me a little bit it, it upset me a little was Yahoo user interface is is basically saying they're done. They're not going to support this anymore. They're done doing any new development, and pretty much it'll just sit out there, and nothing else is going to happen. It hurt you? It hurt me. So, like, you know, back in the days when you didn't really have a lot of options for having nice JavaScript libraries, YUI was, like, one of the most advanced at the time. It was kind of up there with GWT and those. And actually, ext.js, which you may or may not know, which was purchased by Sencha, which is probably one of the most popular API libraries for having widgets and whatnot, it started from YUI. And there were probably several others that did as well, but they basically called it quits. They said things are moving this in a different... This guy is JavaScript. <laughs> they're moving in a different direction, so that one's done. And I remember YUI always had the best documentation, so there's always a place in my heart for them. <laughs> oh, they did. They had tons of documentation. It was fantastic. Now you can use Dojo and have like 10,000 files added to your project. Yeah. <laughs> Outlaw was a little upset when he found out that there were, what was it, 10,100 yeah, or files. Yeah, over 10,000 files. I was like, good Lord. And, and just the standard Dojo download. So anyways, yeah, it's a little monstrous. And then the last thing. So if you guys listen to episodes 14 and 15, is that correct? Yeah, 14 and 15 where we talked about SQL pretty much ad nauseum. After that, I went ahead and created a couple of YouTube videos that we now have a channel for. So if you go to www.youtube.com slash coding blocks, you'll find the two videos. So if you want to learn about all the different types of SQL joins, the first two videos are up there. And we're going to start putting more of this stuff up there, too. So if we're talking about, like, design patterns, I wouldn't be surprised if a couple of these show up there as well. So Yeah, feel free to comment on those, too. Yeah, go up there, subscribe we'll to the YouTube the values channel. Of propane. <laughs> hey, he's up oh. off me. <laughs> yeah. yeah, if you guys get that, then kudos. <laughs> and, and if you don't, go check out the videos, and then you will. <laughs> no, it wasn't that. It was on my other site. Oh. It happened on my headphone review site. So, oh. yeah, yeah, it's not fun. Anyways, uh, so yeah, definitely go check that out. And we're also going to be adding a link to the top of our codingblocks.net page so you can quickly get to our YouTube channel. So check that out. 
Yeah, and uh, Alan actually said that was the last thing, but uh, there are two more I kind of snuck on there. Oh, my bad. I, I wanted to mention uh, Atlanta Code Camp's coming up. I know we keep talking about regional stuff, which is very cool, but uh, Code Camp's actually happen all over the world. I, I don't really know if this is a, a Microsoft thing or if they're just a big sponsor of it, but it's a really cool event. I think it costs 10 bucks. It's like a full-day conference. It's Saturday. They provide lunch. It's freaking awesome. Some of the some big name speakers, some really awesome topics, and it's just a you know a whole bunch of nerds hanging out. So definitely, um, you know, if you're not in the Atlanta region, then I would look for a Code Camp near you and definitely check it out. Awesome. And that's the last thing for the. Oh wait, no, 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 no one, one more. And one this more. one's a good one. So um, Lee Inglestone, uh, or I think we uh, referred to him last time as Linglestone, uh, but he had a great tweet. I, I just wanted to mention on the air because uh, I thought it was awesome. Uh, he basically said, if no one has already coined the term. Terms stringiger, strool, straight time, and stressimal, then let me be the first. So when I saw this, I knew exactly what he's talking about. And if you do any sort of like, um, you know, Jason parsing or basically just string parsing, and it's like one of those things where, you know, this is a string, but I know it's really an integer. I know it's really a Boolean. You know, you're just kind of messing around that, that sort of parsing. And that's what we're talking about. This is a straight, a straight time column or a strool column. And well, you, you got some strool. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> so I thought that was really funny, and I uh, hope you guys enjoyed me saying silly words. Yes, that was good. <clears throat> All right, so now I guess it's time to get into the meat of this thing, right, which is going to be our behavioral patterns. So the first one we're going to talk about is the template pattern, which I think Out- Outlaw was mad at me that I took this oh, one. I was so upset. Yeah. But and we're he, talking about three patterns, right? We each kind of picked one. Yeah, we each picked one this time so that it didn't drag on and so it didn't overload you so you can kind of soak this stuff oh, in. there's so many bad Yeah, there's a lot. I mean, teens, yeah. yeah, so we'll be back with more episodes on these type things. But so let's get into the template pattern. It's also referred to as the Hollywood principle, and we'll talk about that in just a minute. So essentially when you have a template pattern, you basically have an abstract class that has some impl- implementation doesn't have to have a ton, but it basically has a main method that has the flow of things that are to be called. And in that main method, you're going to have method calls. So the example that they have on Wikipedia, and I'll stick with that so that if you're over there looking at this, you can follow it. You have a game abstract class. Uh, and and essentially, they've got a method in there. And inside that method that, that you're called to run, they have initialize game call, a make move call, and is end of game, and then print winner. And so essentially what you've got now is you can subclass this abstract class, and you can override any one of those methods, initialize game, make move, is end of game, print winner. And then when you do that, essentially what you're doing is the flow will always be exactly the same. So if you have a Monopoly game, then it's going to have its own initialized game that is going to set up your pieces, your money, and all that kind of stuff. Then make move. You're going to move across a board. You might be able to buy things, right? Is end of game. Is everybody else out of money besides you? No, keep going. And then print winner if it's actually the end of the game. Now, then you might have another game, uh, like maybe Sorry, where the initialized game is just set up pieces. But essentially what you're doing here is, again, the flow is always exactly the same. It's just that each step can be customized by the subclass. So that's all the template pattern is. It says, hey, just allow people, when they write these other classes, we know that they're going to have to adhere to these guidelines, but then let them do whatever they want within those called methods. I love this pattern. I can give you a real-world example that I've recently used for this. So um, an example where I've used it is for sitemaps. 
<clears throat> so if you look at the sitemap spec, there's multiple types of sitemaps that you might have um, in, in the spec itself. But then for your own site, you might want to have sitemaps for different purposes. So maybe you have some sitemaps that are for products, some sitemaps that are for categories. You might have some sitemaps that are for you know, just other uh, frivolous pages for the site. But then you might have a sitemap index file, yada, yada. And in those files, there's going to be some basic structure to each of them for like header and, and footer type uh, information related to the XML. But then the real meat of it, right, might be different for each one. So <clears throat> in the example that I did was uh, I had the the base abstract class where it defined uh, a, a pattern of, okay, it's now time to write the header. And now it's time to write, start writing the body. Now it's time to write the close part. And there was logic built into that um, base as well to so say like, because uh, according to the sitemap spec, you can't have, there's a certain, there's a cap on the number of URLs and there's a cap on the size of the file. So it would also do checks to say like, you know, all right, it's time to, to split this off to another file, things like that, right? But each one of these methods um, that, that was called in this base, this this one method that had all these calls to the virtual methods, all of those methods could be either either you accept the default of the of the base class or you could provide your own implementation if your details were a little different, yep. right? Yep. And so for the meat part of the sitemap, that one uh, was a that that virtual method had no implementation to it because that was one that you know you, you had, had to customize. To, you had to override that one, but right. like the header and footer stuff for the majority of the types are going to be the same, right? Unless you're writing. You know the the sitemap index versus the sitemap might be different, but but the you know that one was going to be the one difference where the header might be different. You know, it might have some different. I forget exactly what it was, but yeah. So that was a a great example where like you know the the specific class for writing the product specific sitemaps uh, you know only had to implement its one part for the writing the meat of the sitemap. And the category one has this one little implementation, but they were all using, um, as far as like the, the class or the call that actually, you know, went through all of them to write it, it only cared to know uh, the one base type. And it didn't need to know anything about any of the other ones. Right. Or that you they even existed. It just... Implement what you through. need. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's pretty sweet. I mean, what it really forces you to do is to be consistent, right? Like, I mean, that's really the goal of that thing is, hey, you know you need a header, you know you need a body, you know you need a footer. This is going to be consistent. Every class that subclasses that thing is going to follow the same thing because when you call that main method, build build sitemap, then all those things have to exist there. Well, I mean, the way I would define the beauty of it is that you can have, like, a defined implementation for it, and if the caller needs to implement their single pieces of it, they can change... They can change the behavior for their specific need, but the overall structure, you know, end to end, will still remain consistent. Yep. So the flow is always there. I love this pattern. Yeah, that was a uh, really cool one. I love and I hate this pattern. Really? Yeah. So I love it and I end up using it all the time, and that's the problem. I I end up abusing it. Like this this pattern is responsible for killing every little game I tried to ever write because <laughs> I'm like, wait a second. What if I wanted to make a different game? I abstract out the make move, create an interface here, and then I could have two games. And next thing you know, it's like four days later, and you're like, I don't even want to work on this one. It doesn't do anything. It's just about inter- interfaces and abstract classes 
and I don't care anymore. <laughs> so this pattern is, you know, it's it's like video game death for me. Yeah, I can't say that I would hate it, but I will say that like I have often because we just called this the template pattern. But I think more often than not, though, I've actually heard this one referred to as the template method pattern. Uh, you know, because because it's more specific to well, I mean, you guys are shitting on your heads, but are shaking your heads, but you know, I make that distinction because it's it's not um, like a lot of patterns that you that you hear about are specific to a class, right? Like a singleton, for example, okay, right, or a factory. Right, those are talking about particular classes, whereas this one is, uh, you know, more about like a method. You're overriding methods within a method, pretty well, much. Well, but it's it's it, the pattern though itself is that there's a method, and that method already has a bunch of calls to other methods, and the expectation is you will implement those other methods. Override those other methods. Yes, I'm sorry. Override those other methods. Override them if you need to. Otherwise, right. you'll accept whatever the default behavior is. Okay, yeah. So template method pattern. You know, actually, when we talked about the builder pattern in the last design patterns episode, we mentioned this kind of maze thing where we said, you know, build door, build wall, build whatever. Really, if you're if you're dealing with different classes and building an ice maze or a fire maze or a magic maze or whatever it was, then you're following the same kind of template where you're filling in these methods and you can swap out these builders and things should just kind of work. Oh, yeah, and getting back to the Hollywood principle on top of that. The Hollywood principle is don't call us, we'll call you. So basically all that's saying is if you overrode the thing, when you call that abstract classes, you know, run game, for instance, then it's going to know based off whatever the overrides were, it's just going to call that that subclasses overrided or overridden method. And that's the whole don't call us, we'll call you. So instead of, Basically, you're saying like the method that you implement, you never actually call Correct. yourself. It the call to it happens in the base class. Correct. So that abstract class, when you ran that main program, it's reaching out and calling. If it if it was overridden, it automatically calls your class. You're never doing it within your own stuff, and that's so that's why they call it. Don't call us. We'll call you. Yeah. Yep. And uh, the reason that you know I don't know if I explained it very well when I call this video game death is like how many times I've started and I'm like. I'm going to make a roguelike. So I start doing that, and then I'm like, I'm going to make a roguelike engine. And I start doing that, and I'm like, you know, really, this is just a turn-based engine. I could make Connect 4 as well as a roguelike. And at that point, you know, I'm off the deep end. It's over. I, I think you, like, stepped into refactor hell. Yeah, yeah. he did. I, that's a problem yeah. for me. <laughs> I want to yeah. do it. I love it so much. I, will, I could refactor all day long, happily. Refactoring and writing unit tests. So independent really sucked so, away so part of your life. It's wonderful. Yeah, it's perfect. Test-driven development just like is you know an infinite amount of work for you because you keep refactoring. Yeah, I'll I'll starve to death if I do TDD. <laughs> test refactor, test refactor, <laughs> yeah. refactor, refactor, test. Exactly. Yeah. So okay, so I mentioned an example where I've uh, used this in the in the real world, but like where in the wild, you know, can can you think of like an example where this is used in say .NET? Aspectacular. Oh, I meant okay. Well, that I'll take that. Sure. Yeah, I was just thinking. You know, we um, we talked about the methods that Vlad had set up, and it was like step one was like set up, and I forget the actual names now. Step two was something that were like seven oh, steps. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, he had seven steps. I even I even specifically called out the template method pattern during that during yep. that episode. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And so we'll have a link to that episode if you guys want to check it out. But yeah, that's one. Well, okay, so I meant something like baked into .NET. Well, why don't you tell us? Oh. I, I thought okay. Okay, fine. You, you serving it up? Yeah, the uh, the page lifecycle in in web web forms pretty much. 
Is it ASP page? NBC has it too. Yeah. So yeah, the page lifecycle on yeah, so, .net. So maybe you uh, you implement a page load. Maybe you don't. Yep, and you can override it, and then those templates are, are those methods are set up there, and so you can do your page load, your on pre error, pre right? like a ton of yeah. Them, aren't there? Yeah, oh, data yeah. bind. There's so many of them. Yeah, so so that's an example built into .NET where you where the uh, template pattern is provided for you, uh, you know, so that you can implement the pieces and you know have fun. Yeah, another one is even like um, if you are going to create like PowerShell command lists, then you kind of inherit from this class and nobody fill in. does that. <laughs> oh wait! Well, what happens? It's awesome, man. I know some awesome people that wrote some awesome commandlets, <laughs> but it's a secret. So, uh, <laughs> secret the world society. secretly runs on PowerShell. <laughs> I, I still have never fallen in love with it. I think because it's like learning a whole new language and yet another command shell. Mm, yeah, it's powerful. It's That's why it's PowerShell. called PowerShell. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Joe, right. Joe is obviously a big fan of it. I don't know. Like maybe we should just devote an entire show to let Joe talk about his love affair for. Yeah, we, we should. We let you talk about JavaScript after all. It's I only, right. <laughs> no, no, I only get to talk about my love for JavaScript. We've never actually gone in deep on it, right? Maybe we need to. But PowerShell is pretty cool. So is JavaScript. Uh, Ask the Node people out there. All right. Well, I feel like we've taken a tangent here. <laughs> we always do. Well, I actually do have a lot the of love for The template pattern for our show has gone astray. <laughs> it did, yes. We actually have a template pattern, and it is failing right now. Uh, we often devolve into bashing on JavaScript. God. Uh, anyway, next up, uh, I want to talk about uh, the strategy pattern, which is actually pretty similar to the template pattern. I mean, these are behavioral patterns, so uh, I guess that makes sense. Uh, Wikipedia said this is also known as the policy pattern, but I've never heard anyone call it the policy pattern. Not to call it the policy pattern all the time. <laughs> yeah, and you're not talking about security? Oh, wait. <laughs> well, maybe there's a connection there. I don't know. But uh, basically the deal with a strategy pattern is you encapsulate uh, an algorithm or really a family of algorithms that are similar, do a similar type thing into a class so that each of these classes contains just the algorithm and then you can pass that class and you can change those classes around and maybe call class A one time, class B another, and it's going to run this similar algorithm. So it's just encapsulating a method, uh, you know, it's very single responsibility principally, but uh, just encapsulate into a class and then uh, that's about it really. There's nothing too fancy about it. Um, the, the main deal is though that these classes do have to meet a common interface. So maybe they have like an execute method or something like that and, um, I know I always bring up color mine because it's my baby, but um, like there is a bunch of comparisons that you can do that are all very similar. So it's basically you take two colors and maybe some additional parameters and you call compare and you're going to get some sort of number out. And it's very important that you always call the same method with the same arguments compare and you always get the same output back decimal in this case. And there are additional parameters that you can set when you create the class, but that method call always have to have the same signature no matter what. So that's pretty cool. And uh, also I wanted to mention a couple examples in .NET. Now, the first one I've got written down here is not actually one that I was able to find kind of, you know, like a de facto, like here's an example of the strategy pattern, but it just kind of makes sense conceptually. So I wanted to mention it, but encryption, right? If you're doing some sort of encryption, you don't really think about doing that sort of stuff like inline in a function, or at least you shouldn't. You would be doing something like, you know, creating a class, here's my encryption method, whether it's AES or RSA or, you know, PD, BKF, whatever it is. And then you would specify your keys and whatever additional information. And then at the end, you're going to call something like encrypt or decrypt. 
So you're setting these objects up differently, but at the end of the day, you're just calling encrypt or decrypt and, you know, doing that sort of stuff. Does that make sense to you guys? Yeah. <clears throat> I was thinking like, uh, you know, at first for a moment there, I was thinking like, you know what? I don't know that I was thinking like, man, have I ever actually used this? Like, but I think where, you know, when I started thinking through the examples for it, where I was thinking like, oh, okay, you know what? I bet I really am using this and I never really considered it is, um, when you made the comment about you're defining a common interface and you know, you're letting each one define its algorithm for that. So then that made me think of an example, uh, for like payment processors, right? So you might have, uh, you know, different, um, you know, depending on the third party processor where there's credit card versus, uh, uh, like a Google wallet or a PayPal or whatever that might be, you know, the, the actual implementation to do, to process the payments would be different, uh, for each one. But the commonality is that interface that they're using. So that's the strategy is that they're just using the, uh, they're going to implement that interface. And so the caller only has to know about that interface. Yeah, absolutely. And, and really the alternative there, if I don't you know didn't if I describe that too well, no, no, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, you know, it's, it's something where you're at the end of the day, you're going to be calling payment dot, you know, capture or payment dot refund or something like that. There's a lot of setup that goes into those different things, but at the end of the day, you're, you're following the same pattern. And one way to set this up would be to have a function called capture. That's got a big switch statement that says, if it's credit card then do this, if it's oh, another credit card processor, do that. But that you know, hopefully <laughs> yeah, it's definitely painful. So another way to do that sort of thing would be to abstract those payment methods. And so that you can just add a different class that handles, you know, pay with Amazon or pay I, with whatever. I, I guess the real point that I was trying to make here though, is that like initially when, when we were looking at this and like, even before when we were putting the show notes together and like, or even back up even before that, when we had picked like what patterns are we each going to discuss for uh, tonight's show? And when you picked strategy pattern initially, I was like, you know, I don't know that I've ever used that in, in, you know, on my own, but it turns out like I, if I really start to think about it, I think this is one of those patterns where you probably do use it and you've never thought about it. Oh, absolutely. Here, I, I can blow your mind right now. Oh my God. Order by mind blown. Yep. Uh, the, all these link <laughs> expressions that take a lambda, the lambda is literally you're passing a function that does something. You're, you're kind of encapsulating some sort of logic. That's exactly what that is, yeah. Yeah, so you're saying order by, you know, x arrow x dot something. You're defining this this functionality that meets an interface. You know, it's either that funk or the action in link. That, that almost sound, about. makes like just anonymous functions almost apply it. It's very Almost. similar, yeah. Yeah, it's a little bit loosey-goosey because they're not actually extracted to a class, but that's one of those things where this strategy pattern was kind of written about before Lambda's and, you know, I guess... I think the payment processor window definitely list. seems straightforward. Like, you know, you, you, need a, you need a method to be able to capture payment, you need a method to be able to authorize payment, things like that that would be defined in your interface. And then each class for a specific, like a Google Wallet, for example, or a PayPal you know, they're implementing that interface. And by doing that, whether you realize it or not, they're following the strategy pattern. It's weird, though, because it sounds like just fundamental OO, like polymorphism type stuff, right? Like, yep. it, it looks like the real... So I'm looking at something on dofactory.com where they have a .NET version of the strategy, strategy design pattern. And it seems like just basic OO type development and it seems like on top of this if you use something like a factory with it it would make it extremely powerful 
Yep. And really, you know, if you're following the single responsibility um, principle, mm-hmm. then you're doing this all the time because you've got this thing that it does one thing and one thing only. And, you know, if you're talking about it at that point, you're talking about an algorithm. You're yeah, the, the, key is, the key is you're, you're making the algorithm interchangeable. Like you're, you're abstracting that away from, you know, like the, there's no one implementation for it. And, uh, and, and, and the client doesn't have to care about, you know, that implementation. Yeah. Right. Right. So that kind of brings me to the third thing I was kind of thinking of, like, like examples in the .NET world, and this is this is getting it's definitely straying from the the pattern the uh, definition in Wikipedia. But I thought it was interesting to bring up is dependency injection. Isn't that kind of what we're doing with dependency injection? I've got some classes that meet an interface. Well, you mean the actual like tool that's doing the, the injection? Well, not so much the tool, that, and that's where the the, the example kind of breaks down is it's not really the tool that does it but it's the same kind of concept where i've got different classes that meet an interface and they each you know have their own algorithm or algorithms and then i configure them to use this one or that one at runtime or maybe even compile time but it's the same kind of thing where i've got this algorithm or set of algorithms and i'm choosing to use this one over that one and so what it means is i've abstracted my algorithms out and i'm you know interchanging them so it's definitely a loose definition, but I just thought it's kind of a an interesting take on this strategy pattern. Hmm. Yeah, I mean the one thing that's weird about the the like if you only looked at the definition of this one though, you know it, it says like it defines a family of algorithms, right? Right. And then, but then you think like, well, are you calling defining the algorithm just the method name because? Well, here's an example we talked about a little bit before the show is um, log for net. So I might have a file appender that. Uh, appends to the end of the file. I might have a rolling file appender that knows how to roll the files, or I might have a database appender that appends to database. And each one of these is configured basically, you know, in, in your web or app config file. It's kind of doing a, a sort of dependency injection, but at the same time, you're really these classes that are are underlying are meeting this sort of interface. They make up a family of algorithms that all do something very similar. And at the end of the day, they just kind of call log dot write, and the stuff happens underneath because they meet the same interface. So I would say that's a pretty good example of the strategy pattern. Yeah. So let me say this if we haven't already said it. Please leave us a review on iTunes <laughs> or Stitcher or, you know, Stitcher is awesome. We're getting some really good traction there. But, you know, I'll tell you what, wherever you feel the most comfortable leaving us that review, you can go to one of you to uh, Alan's videos on YouTube and leave it there. I, you know, whatever, just I would really appreciate it. Yeah, and I know that you guys, uh, a lot of you aren't writing reviews because we've gotten too many good ones. <laughs> so I know that we're getting whoa, some whoa, sort whoa. of... Uh, we still want to keep the good ones I, rolling I, in. I don't know where you're going with this, Joe, but I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the good ones are good, but uh, you can also email oh. us at comments at codingblocks.net if you want to send us uh, something a little bit more harsh. Yeah, so let, let take this note down, okay? You know, put the good ones up on iTunes and Stitcher, and, and any kind of rants, you know, email those to us, and we'll fix it. Maybe, I mean, we'll at least read it. Well, we'll probably blame Alan first, <laughs> right? Fair. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, some of the other ones that we got too that, that we didn't mention earlier from Chris Tessin, Tessin, Tessin. I'm not certain. Hopefully, I didn't butcher that too bad. Great podcast and very I would entertaining. Tessin. Tessin. That's my guess. Yeah, that's what I thought initially. Uh, speedy surfer, great way to learn and drive. That's what and, that's what our goal was, right? And he's speedy, so I mean, you gotta take that. Yeah, absolutely. He's driving while he's doing this, and he's speedy. Uh, decepted or de- dected? 
is uh, amazing work, guys, and 603, smart and enjoyable. So, I mean, that's what we were going for anyways. Is like we said, we wanted you guys to be able to learn on the fly while you're driving, cutting your grass, whatever. So, yeah, please do. Leave us a review and leave us some feedback. We'd, we'd really appreciate it. And also, share this with your friends or, or coworkers. I mean, if you've got people that you, you want to improve their code. And, and like we said, like th- this does help other people to find us as well so we greatly appreciate that yeah so so thank you for everyone who has already uh sent us a review on itunes and stitcher uh just know that we really do appreciate it and yeah, we thank yeah. you seriously so the next pattern oh, i love this one this is this is i don't know if you guys like this one as much as i do but i do this is an elegant one the null object pattern oh that little guy so here was this interesting quote that i found and uh, it said, I call it my billion-dollar mistake. It was the invention of the null reference in 1965. At that time, I was designing the first comprehensive type system for references in an object-oriented language. My goal was to ensure that all use of references should be absolutely safe, with checking performed automatically by the compiler. But I couldn't resist the temptation to put in a null reference, simply because it was so easy to implement. This has led to innumerable errors, vulnerabilities, and system crashes, which has probably caused a billion dollars of pain and damage in the last 40 years. Wow, he's a little hard on himself, huh? <laughs> That's Sir Charles Anthony Richard Hoare. Yeah, he's a principal researcher at Microsoft, uh, inventor of QuickSort, numerous awards. You can go check him out on Wikipedia, and we will have a link to him in the show notes as well. But, uh, you know, when, when we talk about the null object pattern, I think it's only fair that we pay homage to, uh, you know, the null reference guy. Yeah, and he also invented quicksort, by the way. So kind of a big deal. Yeah, get, yeah I mean, cut I him some that, slack. You know, cut him some of, slack. <laughs> I mean, you know, he did invent null. All right. So, so null object pattern. So, so what is this first, right? This is if you want to provide a safe implementation that does nothing this is what you do all right so when to use this is when you want to abstract a null away from the client you don't want your callers to have to bother with checking for null you just want to allow them the freedom and flexibility to know that they can call your method whatever that might be and they're going to get back something and it'll always be safe and they can just call methods on it and it'll work without a problem. All right? That's something useful. So I, so I get an object back, and I just say object.whatever, and if it's a null object, then it just kind of no-ops. It does nothing, right? Nothing harmful happens when a system doesn't crash because I didn't check for null. Right. So, so an example of it, a very... Uh, I might even call this, say that this is kind of a loose uh, um, example of it, but... Let's say that if you had a method and it, that method was supposed to return a list, okay, but based on some condition, maybe you don't return a list of anything, right? But at least you return back an empty list. And then that way, the caller could just automatically throw that into a for each loop, for example, and start try to iterate on it. But because your method didn't return anything, Nothing happened. Yeah, no harm, right? no foul. Exactly. You're not having to no say, hey, to if this anything. is null, if this is not null, then do the for each. If it is null, skip it. None of that garbage. That's basically what you're avoiding. Yeah. So, so like, um, some places where I've, I've used this myself is um, 
in factory uh, classes, right? Where um, I, I, I need to create something and, and maybe based on some condition or whatever that, that's met, I need to – I don't want to return back null, but I want to return back a safe object that they can use, right? So I will return back a null object pattern version of it. Okay. So trying to wrap my head around this, I'm trying to think like uh, you, the I only feel example. Like you guys are just like, <laughs> never mind, forget it. Go. On. <laughs> yeah. you're, you're like lost in null. While I'm talking about null, you're losing my love of null. Here is gone straight to dev null. You threw so many nulls in there. <laughs> <laughs> no, we actually uh, tried really hard to find an example of this in .NET framework, and I can't think of any. Uh, and we had a hard time searching for any. But it's still, uh, you know, I'm sure it's something that's out there in frameworks. I know I've certainly done stuff like it. But uh, one thing that's kind of weird about it is that it it almost, like, leads you to feel safe and maybe you shouldn't, you know. Like, if you're kind of trusting this method to return you an object that does nothing rather than null, then, uh, you know, do you think it kind of tricks you into not you, checking for null on other calls in that same method? You're getting ahead. You're getting ahead. Oh, sorry. Okay, well... Uh Dang. So I didn't want to get into that yet. Okay, fine. So we will. So so <laughs> I was going to close on like you know, a question of the day, right? So name the pattern that I really like that often goes hand in hand with the null object pattern. The singleton. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh. My boy Singleton. You sprung that on me. Woo, singleton. <laughs> He's back. Live large. Woo. Raise the roof. <laughs> That's if you like pathological liars. What? <laughs> no. He, this is a great use for the Singleton pattern, right? All right. So the, the bonus question, why? Why would the Singleton go hand in hand? Not, not all the time, but co- often. Well, I don't have to worry about being initialized or ever not exist. I just kind of call it. I don't have to think about it. Mm. No? You got, you got any ideas there, Alan? Mm-mm. Okay. Okay, so there's two reasons why often the null pattern is, is in conjunction with the singleton pattern, and that is because there's not really going to be any state if you had two versions of the null object, they're going to be identical, right? So, so if they're both identical, why waste memory to have the same nothingness repeated, right? So, so let me okay. give you an example. Okay. We talked about payment processors a minute ago for like a, a Google Wallet and PayPal, right? So you have a, a, a Google Wallet processor, you have a payment processor. They both implement capture methods and auth methods but let's say i don't know why but you have a null payment processor and you know it it's reser- you're reserving some space to to uh have these empty methods that aren't doing anything but why would you need to do that twice you okay. wouldn't you wouldn't want to instantiate that right right so so because there's no state to the null object there's no need to repeat it now number two reason is for equality checks right if I return uh, back null, uh, if I return back the null object version back to you, and you want to check as you jumped ahead to, to see, hey, is this the quote null, right? Then you need to be able to have something to compare it to, and you need to it needs to be the same thing in order for it to pass 
the uh, reference equality check, right? Because if you had two uh, two instances of the same object, those wouldn't pass because they would technically be pointing to different uh, right. memory and Presumably, blocks. I might want to know why or you know if I got the null object or the no op object, right? Right. So so that's why I say like it doesn't. Uh, you don't have to necessarily implement the singleton uh, um, pattern when you do the null object because maybe maybe the state or the equality checks aren't something that you need at that time. But you know, well, for what you talked you about, yeah, that makes sense. If you're doing something like you were talking about, where you call, I don't know, let's say that you have a method that says you know get your customers out of the database. Like a null object pattern might be you pass in bad garbage. Uh, for doing the search, and so it just returns you an empty list of customers, right? So then you wouldn't want to use something like a singleton because you actually are getting new objects back, but you could return a null or an empty list. Right. So so yeah. the idea here is that you're just doing it for safety. Now, here's the benefits, though. This is why like the null object pattern is so awesome, right? Because it cleans up your code, man. You're getting rid of all of these null checks. You don't care. No, no if, else required right you don't you don't have to say like if this is null do this else do that mm-hmm. you don't you don't care you just know you got back something you can safely call something on it but like i said if you did want to check to see if this is the um uh specifically the null object you know you still have that option but you don't have to all right so that's the beauty of it okay so like what i was trying to think of like an example you know uh, kind of in my own mind what this might look like. And I was thinking if we wanted to say, like, you got some sort of, you know, URL parameter and it says, you know, delete user 14. So what I might do is maybe say get user 14, then user dot delete. And in this case, if there was no user 14, because maybe I refreshed the page, I already, already deleted them, I would get a crash. But if I use the null object pattern, then I would kind of get this null object back. When I said give me user 14, it gives me an empty object. I say object dot delete. And it just kind of does nothing, but I didn't have to do this extra checking or worry about this stuff, and it was just kind of handled by doing nothing in the null object. It almost, it, yeah, it's almost like because we've talked about my hatred for this one method in link, which is like the the first versus uh, first or default, yeah, right. And and I wonder, like I don't know, I gotta go back to remembering the first or default. Uh, how that works because maybe that would be the safe version. It returns the default value null for would return back. The first would return back null. Yeah, so all but, reference types return null, but like an integer would return zero. Right, but yeah, for the first or default, you're saying. So so um, yeah, maybe that is an example of the null object pattern within the .NET framework. That's what it seems like. Yeah. Well, it would actually return null though, so I would think uh, not. Yeah, yeah, you are for right reference there. types different under depending on what the type is supposed to be. All right, well, so our search for the null object pattern inside of the .NET framework continues. But here's another beauty of why this pattern is so... Sim- it, it, its simplicity is its beauty, okay? Because you have... The, because your need for doing these if conditions is, is lowered, right? You lower the complexity of your code, right? Absolutely. Remember our conversation about independ? Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Your cyclomatic complexity score... Pew, yep. just drops. Yep. Right? That's awesome. Right? I love this guy. You don't care what was returned. You just get to do stuff. You get to live up to Nike's motto and just do it. So if you no? imagine a world without <laughs> no references, like if no references weren't allowed, we'd be writing a whole lot more objects, first of all. Yeah. But uh, that's interesting what the code will look like. 
I guess he would probably end up doing a lot of checking to see if it equaled the null object and then throwing an error or so something like that. The downside to this is you are creating objects for the sake of having objects. So basically things that really do nothing. So you're taking up you're taking up heap space. But it's probably I mean, there's always trade-offs, Well, it right? depends. Like in my singleton example, though, you you are limiting that. You're limiting it. But, but the beauty of it is, like I said in the beginning, you're abstracting null away from your caller. Your right. caller doesn't have to be aware and of there's, it. And that trade-off, I think, is a fair one. I mean, you always have the performance versus whatever, but there's there's a lot to be said for clean code, right? Like being able to go in and read something and not get exceptions that you're worried about and all that. I mean, let's not even think about this in the scenario that you're actually writing a class to represent the null, you know, the quote null right, right. object that maybe a factory would return because that that's certainly an example of this pattern. But let's just say in the, in the example that I gave in the beginning where, you know, you have some method, it needs to return back a list of some type, right? Right. Instead of returning back null, you return back an, just an empty list. Which right? is still taking up some space on the heap, but yeah, but not it much. makes it much safer. Right. Safer. Like Any time that you cannot return back a null, yep. you make it you make your uh, methods much safer for your callers. Yes, right? Absolutely. Yeah, it's I, I actually like this pattern a lot. And it's something that I think I did long before I even knew it was a pattern, right? I think probably a lot of us have because you're like, man, I'm so tired of checking them for null, right? So this is a very, very useful pattern. Yeah, I love that guy. Null yeah. pattern, null object pattern and singleton, they're like, you know, peanut butter and chocolate and they go together so well. <laughs> so it does seem like it, uh, it fits really nicely with the strategy pattern. Oh, and, yeah, And yeah, even yeah. the template pattern, you know, if you're doing your ice maze and, you know, one of the things like you know, maybe create fire or some sort of method on there. It just wouldn't happen in the ice maze. Well, you know, that, that's really at the method level. So I, I guess I'm getting a little wrong there, but still kind yeah. of wrap my head around this one. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's also, uh, you know, you, you use this too when you're uh, implementing the command pattern, which is another behavioral pattern that we haven't gotten into yet, which we'll get to in the future. But uh, that's when, you know, uh, command objects that encapsulate an action and its parameters, uh, and then you know, it's, uh, so uh, you could also you mentioned the strategy pattern. You could also consider this to be a special case of the strategy pattern or even the command pattern. Oh, you know, I was just thinking like an example of this might be like if you've ever been programming something and like you didn't configure it correctly, and rather than an, an exception being thrown, just nothing kind of happened. You know, the whatever you expected to see on the screen didn't show up because it you know it kind of got no opt, and that, that's one of those situations where it can be you know kind of frustrating. And you're like, what the heck just happened? There's nothing logged because there's no error. But it, you know, it's also good for something that you want to be highly available or or whatever. It's almost like interesting for default behaviors. Yeah, it's also it's also sometimes considered a special case for the, the state pattern, which is another uh, in the long list of behavioral patterns. Oh, so it would be like uh, my blank state. Yeah, it's it's a clean way for an object to partially change its its type at runtime. So that you know. So we've already given like some hints into some future uh, behavioral patterns that we'll get into. But yeah, if you're not already, uh, if you haven't already tried the null object pattern, you know, I, I suggest you try it and fall in love with it because it is awesome. And then any hatred that you might have had for Singleton, you're gonna be like, you know what, Michael was right. Singleton, <clears throat> <Hey>. <laughs> Singleton ain't so bad after all. <laughs> it ain't so good either. What? <laughs> Crazy. 
Let's see what Google thinks. Singletons. Oh, God. Here we go. Again. It's going to be anti-pattern, are right? Are bad, oh. pathological liars, evil, closed, and open. Poor singleton. <laughs> oh, Google. Poor, poor singleton. Yes. All right. So let's get on to the resources we like. What, what do we got over there? Yeah. So, uh, I mean, we've we've mentioned some of these before, but, uh, you know, I felt that it was good a good one to... Uh, uh, bring back up is the design patterns library on plural site. Oh my God. There must be like what? 15, 20, 25, 30. There's, There's a lot. I think like everyone who ever wrote any code for plural site is in that library. It is a massive, um, set of videos that you can watch and learn. And, and there's really a lot of great content in it. So I highly recommend it. Yep. We'll include a, a link to that in the show notes as well. Yep, and also, of course, the Design Patterns book, which actually doesn't have null object. That's kind of a newer one. But uh, this book is awesome, and uh, I think we mentioned last time, it's still in its first edition because that's just how right it was. Yeah, that's, that's pretty that's still unbelievable. outstanding. And then I mentioned that it has two bookmarks built into the book. Yeah, we really need like 80,000 bookmarks for it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My cats have chewed these bookmarks a little bit. I'm actually it, holding that, the book right now. You know, don't, don't, don't even bother with a highlighter for that book because the entire book will be yellow. Yeah, seriously. All right, and so then now, on to our tips of the week. Joe, what's yours? All right, mine is the MS Dev Show. Uh, the Swedish coder, um, who I, I think his Twitter handle, it's Patrick Dolan, uh, we've mentioned before. Oh, yeah, several at, times. Uh, Swedish coder. Um, he turned me on to the MS Dev Show, which is really fantastic. It's uh, one guy who works at Microsoft and another MVP, and they just did, do these really great interviews, and uh, they always have tons of tips. I feel like I'm always, uh, you know, scrambling for a, a pen or going to the website to look up something. But it's really great content. It's yeah, really good, and the, the topics are really good. It's not the kind of standard podcasty interviews you hear. Like they just did one with um, the, the guy who's kind of running the Azure search team, and they just uh, talked about some. It, it was like just the right mix of like details and kind of high level to just make it really interesting. The, so, the name almost show. sounds misleading though, because like it, it's called the MS Dev Show, so immediately you would think like, oh well, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm not. Uh, I do Java, so why would I even bother? But like the one of the last episodes that I listened to, it was um, just on how Agile was used inside of Microsoft. That was a really good one. That yeah. was fantastic. It was an excellent Had, episode. It was not in any way specific to you know any Microsoft technology, but it was great. Yeah, I mean they talked about it how you know Microsoft was using it to make Microsoft technologies, but. Yeah. And, I, and I gotta say, on top of it, another thing, and, and we we are all avid podcast listeners. The sound quality is fantastic, so it it's never huge. distracts from the from the the content of the show. So kudos to them on that, and the content is really outstanding. It, it doesn't hurt that you can hear. <laughs> yeah, well, I, like if you listen to, I know you do a podcast at two times speed, and I do one point five. So the sound quality is bad. It just sounds like a modem. Ain't nobody you know, got time for that, dude. I don't even know how you do two. That's insane. Man, you gotta listen to everything at double speed. <laughs> Ain't nobody got time for that. <laughs> So yeah, uh, what was your so what was your tip totally? Uh, just MS Dev Show. You can find them by going to iTunes or Stitcher or um, on Twitter. They're just MS Dev Show. Wait, wait. I thought you had an. Uh, oh no, yeah, I got the mother of all. Oh, that well, was you. My bad. My yeah, bad. Yeah, bring it. Hey, it, it. Outlaw's got like five pages for his tip here. All right, so uh, put me on double speed. Here it comes. <laughs> nah, you will want to listen to this on single speed. Who are we kidding? All right, so this is an NTT framework one, and and maybe you've already ran into this, but um, if you haven't, then you'll appreciate this. So uh, here's the scenario. You want to return an iQueryable 
for some table, right? But that table has foreign key relationships, right? So what you don't want to have to do is loop through the results of that iQueryable, right? And perform, you know, in number of queries to, for each of those foreign key references, right? So, um, you know, the example that I wrote here was, let's consider that you have a product table and for each product, you might have multiple SKUs for it. So like, you know, let's picture, uh, the product is some shirt design and, you know, you have SKUs that represent, uh, you know, blue, red, white color versions of that shirt, as well as small, medium, large, um, you know, versions of that shirt. And you want to go through, you want to query that product table, but you need to be able to access those product SKUs as well, right? So here's how you can do that. In your iQueryable, there is a dot .include method that you can use. And in that method, you can specify what uh, key you want to include in that. So now depending on that, that uh, query, your payload might be rather large, so be aware, right? But um, you know, if you can take the hit for that large result set, that might be way better trade-off than doing n number of queries, um, you know, uh, it, it, at least a minimum of, of n number of queries, uh, or getting back n number of results for n number of queries, um, you know. So, so that depends on on you know what your need is. But then, let's say you're like, well, I need multiple. There's multiple foreign keys, and I want them to all come back. You can chain these dot includes together, so you could get uh, dot include. And then in the product example, let's say that I was going to uh, set up a Lambda and just call it P. So, so P goes to P dot, the first foreign key table, and then dot include P goes to uh, P dot second foreign key table, right? And this is going to use eager loading, so you are going to take the hit on, on that. But again, you now have one result set that came back and your foreign keys are there as well. So this is similar if we're talking about link to SQL here, which I th- we are. This is similar to doing like a select all from table one, join table two, join table three. But you're not having to go back to your crazy join syntax. You're doing this in entity. But it's the equivalent. So if you're talking this about an entity, yeah. So if you're talking about SQL, <laughs> that's basically what it's generating behind the scenes. When you use that dot include, it's it's basically a select all. So I still can't get join syntax. Even in the, the SQL query syntax, I have to look it up every time. So this is something I can actually remember. Yeah, because like, like okay, so so I guess one thing that I didn't mention that if you weren't aware of is that if you did your select from the, from the product table, right, and then you tried to do anything on that foreign key reference, so you got back your first product result and you did product dot and you called that second, um, you called that, that foreign key table, so in the example of the SKU, so you did product.sku dot. That's going to, in the background, that would normally kick off a query if it hadn't already, uh, if it didn't already have that data, right? So it would kick off a query normally. So if you did a query that returned back 10 products, and for each of those 10 products you did product.sku, that's going to be the one query to get all the products and then 10 more queries to get all those SKUs. And maybe those SKUs only return back um you know, one record, they might return back, you know, uh, um, more than one record. But, you know, the point is, is that, you know, in this scenario, you had to, um, (laughs) 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 the point is, is that this would return back 
everything at one time for you in one query call. Yeah, so you're not just constantly going back and forth to your database or whatever your data provider is. And it looks nice in the queries, or sorry, the Lambda syntax. Yeah, it is pretty. All right, so my tip of the week. So if you've ever had a need where you had a table, and let's say you needed to populate a temporary table or something, and let's say that this table you've got has 50 columns in it, and you're like, God, I really don't want to create this temporary table and define the columns with the var cars and the, and the ints and all that. A real quick way of just creating a shell of a table in SQL Server would be do a select star into, and if it's a temp table, you say pound new table name from the source table name where one equals zero. So the beauty behind this is a select into creates a new table. When you say where one equals zero, that's, that doesn't say, I don't want, I don't want anything to happen. It says, I still want you to create this table, but I don't want any rows in it. So this is how you can literally go about creating a shell of a table, select star into new table from old table where one equals zero. And you get a shell of a table that you can populate with whatever you want. That's I'm, one shell of a table. <laughs> nice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that reminds me, um, SQL Chris, who we've mentioned on the show before, but um, he does a lot of uh, like kind of SQL tips and, and uh, questions and all sorts of cool stuff. But he recently put out a survey. We'll have a, a link. Um, so if you have any sort of SQL questions or stuff you'd like to see out of him, then he's got that link. But uh, what actually got me thinking about it is, um, and I took the survey and one of the things he asked is, um, you know, what do you have a hard time with in SQL? And I was like, importing and exporting data. I know I shouldn't, I, you know, it seems like something that should be really easy for a database, but every time it comes to like import data from, you know, an Excel spreadsheet or you want to move some data or some tables from one database to the other and you got to make sure to check the schema only or data and schema and, oh my gosh, you forgot the foreign keys and, it's such a pain, you know, or you can do the whole backup and restore thing, but even that gets kind of nasty and like restore doesn't work half the time for some reason. You got to like stop the database and do weird stuff and I don't know. I just <laughs> moving data around is not my forte. Like I can query once it's there, but getting the data into the right database is it's kind of a pain. So that's a cool cool tip there, Alan. Cool. Glad I helped somebody. All right. So uh, just in summary, we've talked about the template method pattern, the strategy pattern, the null logic pattern. And the singleton pattern. Oh, my God. I love that guy. <laughs> so be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, uh, and more using your favorite podcast app. And uh, make sure to give us that review. Uh, we love it, and we appreciate what you guys have been doing, and uh, we'll certainly take more. Yep, and visit, visit us at codingblocks.net where you can find our show notes, examples, discussions, and more. And seed your feedback, questions, and rants to comments at codingblocks.net. Why are you pointing at me? <laughs> I figured we all went out of order except for you, so I figured you're trying to save my line. Oh, you mean uh, be sure to follow us on Twitter at Coding Blocks? Wait, no, wait, hold on. No, yeah, that one. <laughs> uh, contact us with a question or a topic. Leave your name and preferred method of shout out, website, Twitter, etc. And we'll mention you in a podcast, a review. I feel like a robot reading this yeah, stuff. Yeah. That's really good. Wah, 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 wah. Uh, I guess that means we're about done. Yep. All right, so we'll be back soon. Denim, denim, denim. Denim, denim. See, it's stuck in your head now. (laughs) That's awesome.